Hey, you like cars? Well, so do I. Take a seat real quick. You're listening to Car Quicks. Seven. Episode seven. I'm a little late this week. A little busy. So I'm a little I'm a little bit behind, but we got it. We got it straightened out right now. We got it straightened out. How y'all doing out there? Hope everybody's doing good, feeling good, doing as best as they can, doing well. I'm doing great. I really can't complain. You know, life is life is life is life. It's not not in a bad way, you know. But we hear about the cars. We hear about cars. We hear about something to take us away from any of the stresses of life, any of the mundane tasks that we must do as adults or maybe as teenagers or kids or whatever, whoever's listening to it. I mean, you know, everybody has their responsibilities relative to what they have going on in their life and their age. But I'm doing I'm doing well overall, doing very well. Family's well. I'm well. Everything's good. But about the cars now, it's been interesting. It's been probably a little bit over a week or so, a little bit over a week from the last time I had that episode. And that was more about the lightning lap thing that I was talking about because, and it, man, if I had a bigger platform, it had proven to be exactly what I was hearing people talk about before I was talking about it. And that was just, you know, cars just being outrageously fast. I'm going to talk about something that ties into that later today, later in this episode, said later today, like we're going to be here for 24 hours. <laughs> But anyways, what am I here to talk about? You know, as technology goes and as we stretch further and further into how technology integrates into our devices, our lives, our digital life, you know, security and privacy and all the terms and conditions in a fine print, it really comes up to play. I mean, it comes up sometimes when it comes to social media apps like TikTok and who owns the company and what they're looking for and what they're gathering. I work in, you know, my my day job outside of me and my love for cars and doing this podcast is in the tech field. So I'm very well aware of like the double-edged sword that it can be or the very unknown of certain things, whether it's the new AI and, you know, Chad GPT or any of the number of things that people are just now discovering that have been at play for a number of years, but now they're becoming more for the consumer ends so people are concerned. And a lot of these things, a lot of the technologies that have been in play, they have some, you know, there's some things to keep in mind. I don't want to say concerns. Concerns make it seem like everything is negative. I mean, you can be concerned and it still can have a positive. I think it just means that you're aware that, you know, there's some responsibility at times here. But one of the newest articles in relation to cars and technology that came out is it's actually kind of funny to me because I saw this coming a mile away. And that is Ford showing up a patent about a cars being able to repossess themselves. <laughs> Y'all knew this was coming. Y'all knew it was coming. Okay. If you didn't know it was coming, all the people in the, well, I'm going to say Tesla fan, fan people, the Tesla fans, because they're the only ones that kind of were the spearheads of the self-driving 
let me take a nap in the back seat. Let me drive with my feet on the steering wheel. Let me just put on some makeup while the car drives itself. And just to a disclaimer, there are no self-driving cars, okay? Let's just get that out the way. If you come out and you say, I have a self-driving car, you're lying to yourself. There are no self-driving cars, okay? It's advanced radar con- cruise control, basically. And Tesla themselves have come out and said, we lied. <laughs> We actually do not have self-driving cars. They're not even putting that stuff in the cars, and now you got to pay more for it. That's a long story. We're going to have an episode about the realities of what self-driving cars actually are and what has been marketed as something that is not. But back to what I was saying. So Ford the other day, and I don't even think they, they didn't really announce this. They filed for a patent, and when it comes to people that track patents, they're tracking information that won't necessarily be given out to the public. They're looking for changes in the market. So this patent gets, you know, put into probably the USPTO.gov web, you know, group. They go in to do the patent. And the information that comes out has people shocked. They have systems and methods to repossess a vehicle, which is basically under the description of what this patent talks about. And essentially, What it talks about is how all of the sensors in any of their future cars, and this hasn't been put into the car, but the idea is that the cameras, the sensor data, looks at the surroundings, checks the GPS location, and it tells the companies, like it makes a geofence around the car, and it tells the companies or Ford Motor Company or Ford Motor Credit Company where the car is located. Let's just say they're delinquent on a payment. Maybe they have to wait for a payment, they're trying to get one back, at least it tells the banks and for physically where the vehicle is. So you're being tracked. It's showing you where it's at. I mean, if you think about the old days of being a repo people, you know, folks could kind of trick them and hide the car somewhere for a number of of days, weeks, months, or whoever, if they had an issue and people would try to find the car from them. This is basically now tracking the car down. But where it gets even crazier is when the car has self-driving features. And that is where they're talking about it being able to summon itself to a repossession yard of the bank's choosing or where Ford says ascended. Another thing too is that the car can also command the audio system. So let's just say you have, you missed the payment and Ford is trying to get in contact with you. you They're looking for the car to send you emails. They said they can get to the point where they can emit an incessant and unpleasant sound every time the owner is present in the vehicle. For example, or disable other key features such as climate control. (laughs) Yo, (laughs) let me tell you something. That would be a fail, okay? You want to talk about a surefire way to get people to not buy your cars. I'm not saying to stop in most people. Because there's going to be a group of people out there that say, well, you know, you have your responsibilities. If you buy a car, you owe somebody money. Absolutely. I'm not saying that people that are purposely not paying for a car or get into a very tight situation where they miss car payments, you know, or, or they're purposely trying to miss car payments are to be given all this leeway. But there's a human element of this. Things happen to anybody. Okay. It doesn't matter how good or how well you have planned. Something can happen where you're in a scenario where you've missed the two car payments, three car payments. They're trying to repossess the car. You need the car. Your family needs it. Somebody's sick. It's really, it's as bad 
as it can get. When it rains, it pours. And you want to add on top of that this idea that Ford would have the technology to, one, see that you're in the car, do things like disable climate control, cause the stereo or the audio system to emit some loud, unpleasant noise, or, in fact, take the vehicle and drive it somewhere to have it repossessed where they decide to choose, where they choose to have it. We're not even talking about the idea that if you disable something like climate control, what if you live somewhere like Arizona or in Texas? It's 105 degrees outside. Now I'd have no AC. Maybe I've been driving around somebody that was older who has a sickness that I've been taking care of that that's why I haven't been able to pay my car. So now we're driving around it's 85 degrees, 95 degrees in the car. What if the car drives itself to repossessing yard and I have something in that I need? Maybe it's medicine. Maybe it's something I need for my house. Maybe it's something that's incredibly important. Now the car is not even there because it just drove itself somewhere that I don't even know where it's at. It gets tricky. Now I will say this. From Ford's side, I'm sure they're looking at this like this is this is butter. Okay. We have a way to check where the car is at. Get the car back. We don't got to deal with nobody. If they have an issue, they're not answering the phone. We can just bother them until they answer the phone. Or when the cars are self-driving, drive the thing back to us. So uh, this is, at some point, it's going to happen. While I'm talking about the idea of who administers all these rules, it's still probably going to, we're still probably coming up to it. I mean, if Tesla's can tell you where they're at, update, software over the air ota updates almost all the electric cars can do that i mean tracking where the car is is not hard at all they can find the car i mean that's already on star an old system from gm can track where the car is at so that's not a that's not hard to do and it can unlock doors and all that but when you start getting to the point where you can do things to disrupt the life of the person driving the car then the question is who administers this like, who is the person that says, yes, we should turn off the AC because they haven't made, they missed two car payments? Or we should disable the door locks or something while they're, you know, before they get to the car so they can't open the car door or something like that. It's all these weird things. And then you get into the privacy side of things. Who is doing the privacy part? How are we actually checking who on the other end? of these applications and of these services that are looking at cameras in areas around the car understand or have the training to deal with that type of private information because it's asking for a leak it's asking for a hack especially if you consider the fact that if you don't have a robust security in place for these type of systems all that is is for the people in this world that are going to do bad by ways of technology. They're looking at this like, oh, man, this is perfect. We got a loophole right here. We're about to see where people live, drive the car ourselves, either hack into the car, cause all types of issues, especially when all these car companies are racing to make electric cars. Instead of racing to make infrastructure, instead of racing, maybe they are. Let me not say that like I know. I don't work in any of these departments. From what I can see as a consumer, everything on the forefront is about the car, which I understand. You show fun electric cars and all these cool gadgets and doodads, and everybody gets excited and they want to give their money to buy the car. I think there's something to be said about talking about the infrastructure and what is actually going to be in place 
that would get people more excited about the idea of a future of electric cars. Every other step you take is always something about you're not going to be able to buy that in 10 years. We're not doing this in seven years. There's no more ICE vehicles. And all it sounds like is if you see a patent like this, then you see what politicians are talking about. If you wanted to be a conspiracy theorist, if you wanted to put the two and two together, it sounds like you're getting funneled right to where they want you to go. So, of course, a patent like this is probably most likely very much going to come to fruition. Because what would ultimately stop Ford from doing it? It is a private company. They can add this to their car and just sit it, look at you and say, don't buy the car if you don't want it. But we got our system in place. Or they don't say anything. The patent clears. You go to buy a car. When you sit with the finance person, they flip around that paperwork. Most people don't read all of that. They get to the point that matters. What's the interest rate? How much do I owe? What's the overall loan terms? Can I do, you know, is there a prepayment penalty? How much can I pay up front now? How much putting the down payment? We're looking at the numbers. But the numbers will mask over the terms and conditions. And that is where they will hide something like this without a doubt. They will place something like this right under where you're signing for the finance terms. But who right now is going to be checking for that? You've already driven the car. You got inside of it. You saw the big screen probably OLED, curve something, the thing's talking to you, it's doing all this cool stuff, you're driving, the thing's driving itself, you are enamored by what the car does, you're already excited, but you didn't look at the terms and conditions. And somewhere in there, if they're already setting up a patent like this, that means somewhere in there, they're going to have this thing buried under where you're signing for the finances, worrying about what you need to pay, which is obviously very important, but we don't have in our mind when we're buying cars about what the car can do or who it communicates with. See, we kind of think about that with cell phones, but unfortunately with cell phones, you're kind of in a scenario where like, where do you go, right? If if you choose your company based on what they tell you. So if Apple seems like they're more about personal, private security and communication, people might lean towards them. Some people might want to have the ability to manipulate more of the operating system that they have so they go to Android. But you were kind of in a scenario where there's really only two ultimate options for when it comes to communicating via phone or in a mobile device. So we kind of think about these things up front or it comes up more like it's a constant thing. If you look at cell phones, if you look at mobile devices, security and privacy is a constant, constant thing because of how much is put on the phones. So companies are at the front of it. Apple will come out there when they have a press conference and say, we are doing this for your privacy. We are doing this for your security. We are doing this to safeguard the bad players from getting into your information. Same thing with Google. They'll do a press conference. They'll talk about the things they do to safeguard your information from being taken or identify identifiable information being stolen. But cars, see, cars is a different situation because most people have never thought about cars as being computers with personal identifiable information on them. I mean, who has? We are just getting to the era where people will consider cars rolling computers, but there is a generation, mine included, that cars were, at most, a navigation system on the dash. And then before that, a CD player. And if you were real fancy, you had a six-disc CD changer. You know, it wasn't like we had 
a computer screen basically on the dashboard talking to us, showing us where we go, showing us what we need to do. That was not a common thing. And so when you have these new systems in place, one of the things you have to now think about is who's going to regulate that? Are people actually thinking about what this means for their future, for who's driving it, if their kids are in it? That's a lot of information. And the companies that are going to be at the forefront of this, the Teslas, the Fords, the Toyotas, the Mazdas, you know, the umbrella companies, the GM companies, the Volkswagen, you know, vehicle group that controls multiple brands. When they implement something like this, unless you are well within your idea of understanding, I might be driving or being driven in what I perceive as a vehicle, a car, an SUV, a truck. But the reality is I basically strapped myself to a a laptop, (laughs) you know, like I'm sitting inside of my HP. That's basically what's happening. It just so happens to have a steering wheel and a car seat. But I'm really inside of a computer. And so when you start getting your mind wrapped around that idea, like, hey, this is also a mobile device, which sounds crazy. Now I'm thinking about it. Mobile device has always been what you put in your pocket, but a, a car is about mobility. It's about moving from point A to B. It could be very well in the same category as a mobile device. So it should be scrutinized at the same level, especially when patents are starting to show up that are filed from a year back, but show that, hey, we have systems in place where we are going to watch, command the vehicle and either berate the owner because they haven't made a payment or coerce them into doing something or maybe being put in a very uncomfortable situation because we disabled features that are in the car. I mean, that's crazy, especially when you have humans at the other end that are implementing these things. What if they try to call you and we have a bad conversation because I'm in a bad spot. I know I missed two car payments. I know you guys are like, hey, you really need to catch this up. You only got about two more times of this happening before it's really you're going to be in a really bad situation. You might get to a person that is just it's just really not everything is not lined up. real. Their chakras are misaligned, as you would say. They get into an argument with the person on the phone. What if that person on the other end is angry and you're arguing back and forth and out of sight, they decide to turn something off on your car because they're like, hey, whatever, you know, screw you. I'm just going to do this. These are underpaid people, most likely. I mean, I don't think Ford is going to have a call center of those that are checking over their cars, being paid the proper amount of money that they need to be paid and training to understand the magnitude of what they're controlling and what they're commanding. Half the time you get people that are underpaid and overworked in some call center somewhere in the middle of America and Ford trying to save money, say we're going to pay them $15 an hour and have them calling all these people and controlling systems in the car, not understanding where they're at. Let me show off the air conditioner. It's 107 degrees. They live in New Mexico. What are you doing? This is the type of thing that would immediately hit the news and everybody's going to pull back and say, we didn't mean to implement it like this. It was meant to be a safeguard to help customers for the options they have that they need to make payments. That's how they, that's going to be the corporate speech when this hits the fan. I just found this article to be wild. Considering the fact that there's been news, I don't know if anybody, maybe you've heard like the issues that Hertz rental car company had where people would rent a car and they would say, 
they didn't bring it back or some clerical error would have them coming and repossessing a car while they still had it rented, still charging it for the rental. I mean, we have proven that humans at the helm of very important things when it comes to customer service or customer facing service can truly screw up the entire thing and cause a wild issue. My whole ending opinion on this, this particular topic is it's going to come. You most likely do not want this or you very well better start checking the terms and conditions of any of these newer electric hybrid cars that have anything involving super cruise quote-unquote self-driving or when they do get to the point of self-driving whether they have systems that can park themselves check where you're at or if they can see that you're driving and say hey we know you're driving on route 66 across america have you ever tried this new spot oh we noticed that you have kids because you set up a profile with different kids are they in the car with you because if they are there's this really cool dinosaur park up the street y'all think i'm joking <laughs> you that's where it's going to get to because maybe I don't have to even tell them I have kids. Maybe I put a car seat in the back with the latch system, and the latch system has a sensor on the anchor, and it says, hey, a car seat was just attached to me, and I'm checking the sensor for the seat pressure, and there's a body in that seat. And we've been driving for about six hours, and we're on this route, crossing America. They got some kids in the car. And also... We got some speakers with microphones and we can hear, though we're not recording the sound, the voice and dialogue and inflection of little children. So, hey, we notice you're driving. Let's just suggest you stop at this diner. They have really good ice cream sundaes. This all sounds foreign until it's not because that is where things get headed. So if we get that far in, a patent about repossessing your car and doing things like turning off air conditioning is not a far-fetched thing. Personally, I'm not against technology, but I understand that it's to be respected and there needs to be a responsibility of those that play. I wouldn't necessarily trust any car manufacturer to understand the level that they need to be at security-wise in order to start implementing a lot of these systems. But... Hopefully, we get to the point that they do. For anybody else buying these cars, you we are definitely going to have to get to the point where we are reading all the fine print, not just for the financial side of things, not just for the obligation of who we repay back to the loan, but we need to start looking at what systems are in there, what they're recording, what they're sending, what we need to be opting out of, what we need to maybe opt in on to truly understand what information we have that we're given to these companies. So listen, make your make your car payment in the future. We worrying about iRobots and chat GPT, but you know, these cars might I mean who what if the car just like ran the red light? What if we just like go on to 60 seconds, nobody at the driver's seat? You just running people over because you ain't paid the car no crazy. Speaking of some other cars. So remember Last episode, I'm straightening up myself in the chairs. If you hear a squeak, it's because I got this a noisy little chair, but it's comfortable. Um, remember, I was talking about the lightning lap that was last episode, and I was just kind of speaking to, you know, just you know, we're we're getting long in the tooth, in my opinion, with the idea that every single car that's a sports car, every single car that is being worked on for 
sport endeavors is being thrown on the track and every in every test every parameter is being used as this has to be where we're doing the test we're doing it on the track and i was like you know i think we're getting to the point where maybe some of this doesn't really matter a lot of these a lot of us are not going to be on the track i mean there are less and less tracks being built unfortunately some of them are being taken away unfortunately and so we're kind of left to the back roads and the mountain roads but really what kind of reminded me of this is a couple this week or during this week or kind of part of the last week too they were testing the Porsche GT3 RS, which is an absolute monster of a vehicle. From the wing, from the way it looks, from the wide body work, it looks like a club racer from Porsche that fell onto the street. I mean, it looks as aggressive as you possibly could ask for Porsche to do for the factory. But one of the things that I read was people driving it were like, listen, I don't have the skill set. I don't have the wherewithal. I don't have the ability, the risk-taking to exploit everything this car can do. And then on top of that, where they were at on one of the reviews, they were at Thermal Racetrack, I think, in California. And they were like, I need more track, <laughs> which, is, which is absolutely nuts. Like, we're getting to the point now where people are like, I there's not enough track for what this thing can do. And then as they're driving this new uh, GT3 RS, they're just talking about how crazy it feels. Like they're like one article from Autoblog was talking about the lateral movement was so intense that they're like, man, I don't know if I have sufficient lateral support because my body is moving in a way I didn't think it can move because I'm pulling G's in the corner. I didn't know could be done. Now, obviously, from a consumer, from a car that a consumer can buy, and I know when I say consumer, some people are going to be like, dude, you're talking about two, dollars $300,000 cars. Like, what, what consumer are we talking about? The 1%? Essentially, yes, the 1%. Still consumers, still people, or I guess you could say in this case, we have magazine journalists that are going to buy the car, not buy the car, they're going to drive the car. So that's about as close to a pedestrian life or a pedestrian person that we can get that can kind of call back to us and say, hey, this is what it's like to drive the upper echelon of Porsche. And one of the things that it comes away is the car is impressive, right? Like what Porsche has been able to do over the decades is absolutely ridiculous. Considering every time a new GT3 car comes out, the the conversation is, I don't know how much more they can do, and then they do some more. And I don't know how much they more can do it this time, and then they do some more this time again. But I will say on the GT3 RS that's out right now, the 20, it might be the 2022 or 2023 one. I mean, I can kind of see where people are like, I don't know where they go because we are now at full race car. So the horsepower wars aren't really what they chase. They're chasing downforce and how fast I can take this corner. How flat can the car stay? How sticky can I keep it to the track? How much g-force can i pull so you're getting to a point now where like the car is is creating outrageous downforce they're saying at the thermal club that it was making a thousand more foot pounds of you know downforce at like 177 or it makes like almost 1900 pounds of downforce i mean you're talking about crazy numbers and they have to be at a speed that warrants this to happen anything else happening on the street you're doing 85 miles an hour you're like oh man i'm really going crazy on the freeway it's only a 50 mile speed limit i've been doing 95 for the past two miles 
the car is like half asleep. It's like, listen, when you're ready to actually do something for real, I can show you what I can do, which you'll never really reach on the public road because you would have to be going balls to the wall. Like you'd have to go nuts in order for this to actually happen. And so when I'm reading this articles, I'm like, man, we are getting to the point where some of these cars are going to just end up being track specials. Similar to like how Ferrari had the FXX where you had to basically pay some outrageous amount of millions of dollars a year to have the car. And then whenever you want to drive the car, they would send out a whole entire race team to the track of your choosing and then bring the car to you. Like that's, it sounds like a, a crazy world, but that's already been happening. So the GT3 RS is, I, as all things Porsche can do, it's amazing for what it does. It performs amazing. Everybody's from the articles I've read, they're like, the handling's out of this world. It does exactly what you think it's going to do for a GT3, but it's so far advanced that the average journalist is like, I can't extract nothing out of it. One of my favorite reviewers of cars, and his name is Forrest Reviews Drives. He does like these really quick 30 second, 60 second videos. Amazing. Black gentleman, I love his videos. I love the way he shoots them. And even when he was talking about it, you can almost tell, like, hey, I mean, like, you already know this car is ridiculous. I drove it on a track, but, I mean, like, I barely did anything. Like, it, it performed at such a high level. I look like a superhero. I'm not doing anything. The car barely got warm. And I would need the most outrageous track and the most, you know, you would need to have the confidence in order to to push it even further and further, to go deeper into the corner, to go later in the braking, further and further, enough that you would be at the edge. You're at the edge. You're at a risk. And most people, when they come into these events, when they're driving a car with the manufacturer, they're not trying to take it that far where there's a risk of injury or or death or something like that, but that's where these cars are at now. They're at the point where they're like, listen, if you're not about to go extra crazy, I'm really not going to do nothing. I mean... I'm going to show you what I can do and a little bit of limited skill sets you have. But when you're ready to, you know, bust down that sub seven minute Nürburgring track time, you let me know. You know, one of the things that really kind of paints this picture of like how far we're gone with like these super special, super hyper cars or super, super sports cars or whatever the category we now have them in GT3 RS is that is all the stuff you can change on the car. So one of the things I remember when I was first reading about this was that I was looking at the steering wheel and I was like, there are mad knobs at the bottom, not just drive modes for like eco and sport and sport plus and sport plus R and R and then track, you know, all the names that they throw on. Even my GR Corolla has sport driving modes, sport, eco and normal. So we're used to seeing driving modes, but this one had additional knobs to change on the fly might i add let me tell you what those are we have psm stability control common pasm that's their adaptive suspension control rear wheel steering and then they had ptv which is plus torque vectoring differential and then you have trash control let me not forget that this is crazy you're saying like on the fly you can twist the stability control, change the way the suspension feels, the dampening, and then change the way the tor- the differentials are changing how the torque is moving around the car on the fly. They're talking about 66 possible settings, and you're doing 100 miles an hour through a chicane. Like, that, that's what I'm reading about. You're talking about 
what used to be a team of people when you came back to the pit or to the garage and explaining what you're feeling and what you're seeing, they're twisting knobs and changing suspension, dampening, they're lifting the car, raising the car, changing out clutch plates. They are doing real mechanical work. Now we are at the point where this all is triggered by electronic changes. In that level, considering where we're going to see this car, everybody, like, let's be real. We know most of the people, most of us regular people, the first times we're going to set our eyes on the GT3 RS is going to be where? It's going to be at Coffee and Cars. It's going to be at a parking lot. It's going to be somewhere where there's a car meet. And the people that are buying this car that can't, I mean, nobody's going to be coming out of the off-ramp trying to change the torque vectoring. Like, you really, truly have to find yourself to a track. That is essentially how they're building these cars. The only way to separate from the regular GT3, which is already so good and already such a high-performing thing, is to change where it's coming from. And that alone is, that's an, that's an impossible thing to do. Most things... Most things like that are going to be too hard to kind of figure out. I think my audio kind of stopped right there, so I was kind of like stumbling. But anyways, we're going to keep it going. But as far as the GT3 RS goes, it's so far advanced that you really do have to find yourself to the track. The regular GT3 is good enough, and I don't mean good enough in a way like, hey, it's it's okay. It is such a high performer that... There is really no reason to go to an RS unless you're really going to stick yourself on the track and you want one of the ultimate track toys. Other than that, it's a, you know, it's a it's an ego thing. I got the RS, you got the regular GT3. I got the big boy Porsche in the parking lot, you got the regular one. I mean, it's ba- that's what it is. It's a game of who has the best one. Because ultimately, if you really pulled back and said, if you're going to street drive this mostly... The regular GT3 is all you need because you're never even going to get to that level of it. But then you obviously, if you have the money, fine, do what you want with your money. Because I can't say if I had the means that I wouldn't be like, hey, RS me, please. (laughs) You know, let me just get the wild, crazy looking joint in the street. And yeah, I'm never going to touch the performance of it. But the main point of this whole little rant, so to speak, is it just kind of proves the point of like the cars are performing so high and so well that really... The only thing that can really exploit what they can do is taking them to a track and pulling out what they're doing and kind of forcing the driver to say, I have to do this in a very controlled and special environment. No longer can I just go up the canyon road and feel what the car can do. I'm not even doing it. I'm not even breaking the sweat. It's, the tires aren't even warm. And that's where... I guess on one side you can say, hey, that's where the lightning lap is needed. See, you were talking about no lightning lap, and that's why it needs I think there should be a separation. The GT3 RS is most definitely a car that probably should just have most of its reviews talking about what it does on the track. But our Lightning Lab has the GT3 cars and it has regular pedestrian cars like a GR Corolla and a, you know, a Lantra N. So those cars should be more about a road trip. Let's see what these things can do on the back roads and where they're going to live. The RS, I could argue, say, yeah, stick that thing on the track. Show us what it can do and basically tell everybody else, like, hey, you can drive it on the street, of course, because it's still a street car. But if you're just going to drive it on the street, just go get the regular GT3. I don't need to spend all this money. That's kind of the episode. 
That's really what was on my mind. It's a, well, not that bad of a short one. The four patent thing was really the big one because that's, man, I'm just letting y'all know. Check the terms and conditions of whatever you're about to buy in the future because it is going to be a game. And I don't even know how it's going to pan out. I might be in a car too that decides that one day wants to drive itself somewhere I didn't tell it to drive. Who knows? Who knows? The future is going to be interesting. Just remember the movie iRobot. <laughs> but anyways, this is Car Quicks. As always, do as you wish. Do as you may. I'll see you guys around. Take care.